0: John chapter number 11 tonight, and uh, we're going to read the first 44 verses. I know that's lengthy, and some of you are saying amen right now, but you may be saying, oh me, before we're done. But uh, it's all pertinent to our message tonight, and I believe the Lord will be glorified in the reading of His Word. John chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord... If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever believeth uh, liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying unto Him, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto Him, him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the Word of God says, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how He loved him!" And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have uh, caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in Himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone." Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time that You've given us. Thank You for these wonderful people that have gathered here in Your house to hear Your Word. Now, Lord, I pray that You'd help me to not get in the way in any way, shape, fashion, or form tonight, Help me not say anything that I shouldn't say. Help me to say everything I should say. And Lord, help me to glorify You in the preaching. Give me the unction and power of the Holy Ghost, Lord, that You might be glorified thereby. And I pray that each heart would be helped in a particular way. Father, You know our needs, and we're trusting You to meet them. We ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank You so much for Your patience. As I read this chapter of Scripture... You know, John chapter number 11. I understand that in a sense all of the Word of God is this way. But John chapter number 11 is one of those passages that you just feel like you could park there. Preach every sermon from now through eternity. Never preach the same thing and never run out of things to preach. It's so rich and full of what God is doing in the life of this little family of Bethany. But you know, as we read this passage, and and no doubt whenever I announced my text and I said, turn to John chapter 11, no doubt many of you said, well, he's going to preach on Lazarus. But you know, really, as you read this passage you're struck by how little Lazarus is contained in this passage. You see, Lazarus may be the reason or the premise for which our Lord goes to Bethany. He may be, uh, his sickness and his death may be the basis and foundation of the conversation that is taking place. And certainly the climactic ending that takes place at the end, when our Lord uh, says for Lazarus to come forth, uh, gives substance to our passage. But really, if you used to ask Lazarus what it felt like, he'd say, I don't know, I was asleep, Amen. It's not really about Lazarus, John chapter 11, is it? And as you read it, you could also say that John chapter 11, in some ways, is about Mary and Martha, these two sisters that the Lord loved so dearly, and they loved the Lord so dearly. He had been in their home. Uh, They had entertained the Lord. They had cooked for Him. They had sat at His feet. They had worshipped with Him. They had took the finest ointment Mary had and broken it and poured it upon His feet, washed His feet uh, with her hair and with her tears. And you could say, surely this passage is about Mary and Martha. But really, if you stop and consider it, there's only one figure that is found from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter. Only one central person, only one central theme. And I've found as I study the Word of God that He just happens to be the central theme of every page of this book. Every jot and every tittle of the Word of God bears witness to this one that we know as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the theme of John chapter number 11. And as I read this passage, I was struck by his responses and his attitude towards these people. Uh, You know, uh, we have a tendency to think sometimes that things just happen to us. We all get to feeling that way. Well, surely this just happened in my life. And though we claim in a providential God, many times we live in a coincidental world. And we have a coincidental mindset. But as I read this passage, I am struck that every single verse that we've read tonight is dripping with the providence of God. That God had a plan and that God had a purpose with what was taking place. And you know, I began to think about how God is in everything in our life. Uh, You know, there's not a single day that you live but what God had something to do with it. There's not a a single thing that you do but what God had something to do with it. Now, I'm not saying that everything we do is pleasing to God. I'm not saying that there's not some things that happen uh, that are outside of the will of God. I'm aware that they are, but what I'm saying is this. Uh, Sovereignty and providence in Scripture, it doesn't mean that God's controlling everything. It means that God's in control of everything. In other words, it's not to say that He's doing everything, uh, but it's to say that He's got something to do with everything. He's always in control. And I'll give you an example of this very quickly, and I I must hasten and preach because i got a lot, amen. But, uh, you know, uh, some of you, you've worked a job uh, where you had a boss that just was over your shoulder all the time. didn't matter what you did. They were always right behind you. They were always trying to fix, trying to straighten, trying to change. There was never a single thing you did but what they had input. You see, they had to be controlling everything. We have a modern-day term that we use. It's called micromanagement. Every little thing that happened, they had to have something to say about it. But then some of you have been blessed with a boss at times in your life. Uh, where they hired the right person for the job, they gave them the right job description, they gave them the right tools they needed, then they stepped away. You may have not done everything exactly like your boss would have. You may have not done everything just the exact same way that he expected. But if he had walked into your workshop or your work area, your cubicle, wherever it was, and uh, had told you to step aside, that he needed to do something, you would have done it. You know why? Because he's the boss. He may have not been controlling your every move but He was in control the entire time. That's what providence is. That's what sovereignty is. God may not be doing everything, but He's always got something to do with everything. He may not be controlling every little thing, but He's in control at all times. And as I read this passage, it it strikes me that no matter how out of control their life may have felt, God was always in control of what was taking place. Notice a few things with me tonight. I want to notice some things that God is in in our lives, some things that He has uh, something to do with. Look what it says there in verse number 3. The Bible says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, I want you to notice this phrasing very carefully. It says, When Jesus heard that, He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What an unusual response that the Lord gives. Now, if you're like me, when we pray, we always expect God to just scuttle off of His throne in uh, haste and in hurry and jump to our aid at the very moment that we ask Him to. But our Lord took no action whenever this was presented to Him. Instead, He gave an answer. Isn't that interesting? You know, many times the answers to our prayers are not God doing something. It's God telling us something. And what does the Lord do? He first off gives the reason for what they're facing. Can I say to you that when I read this, I'm struck by the fact that God is in our difficulties. We all face difficult times. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at right now. I don't care how good things are right now. You're going to face difficulties in life. Imagine what it felt like to be Mary and Martha. This brother whom they loved so dearly. And we find out as we study Scripture that they all three shared a home together. We do not know if any of them maybe at one time had been married or uh, were widowed or a widower. We have no idea. Uh, But we know that they shared a home together. They were extremely close. And you can imagine the angst and the the tragedy that flooded their hearts whenever their brother Lazarus got sick. You can imagine the worry that was going on. And here they send for help from the Lord. And the Lord, instead of saying, I'll come immediately, instead He gives them a reason for what they're going through. We see the reason for this difficulty. He says that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Could I say that not everything that glorifies God makes sense to us? There's times that God does things in our life that we can't figure out. But just because we can't figure it, that doesn't mean that he's not getting glory from it. Do you know at the end of the day, everything that happens in the life of the believer or everything that the believer does ideally should always be for the glory of God? We don't have to have this thing figured out all the time. If we'll just be obedient, God will make something good out of it. And that's what we see in this passage. The Lord says the reason that he's sick is because it's going to glorify me in some way. Boy, that had the TV preachers all tore up, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'd have them all, they wouldn't know what to do with John chapter number 11. I've never heard a one of them preach on John chapter number 11, because they'll tell you if you're sick, it's because you've got sin in your life. But here Lazarus is, whom the Lord loves so dearly. And uh, the Lord says, it's for my glory that this is taking place. Now, some of you say, well, now, how was it for his glory? Well, we're preaching from John chapter 11 tonight, aren't we? I mean, God recorded it in His Holy Word. And there's no telling the thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, maybe millions that have gained encouragement from this passage of Scripture. I wonder how many old rotten sinners have sat sometime uh, in an open air meeting or maybe in the back of a church or maybe at a mission somewhere or at a homeless shelter somewhere and heard some man of God stand up and preach how that Christ could do for them what He did for Lazarus, how that He could take their broken and dead body and raise them through the gospel of Jesus Christ to walk with Him. I'd say God has gotten glory out of it. But as we see, and I'm not going to preach my message before I preach my message, but we'll see later on how many people believed on the Lord because of this sickness in his life. So we see the reason. But I want you to notice something else. Notice the restraint of their difficulties. Look what it says This sickness is not unto death. Now, some of us, if we had been Mary or Martha, here in about four days, we would have called God a liar. We would have said, This sickness is unto death. There's no question. In fact, our Lord goes to great pains to convey to his disciples that Lazarus, he isn't just taken a nap, he's dead. Look what it says there very carefully in verse number 14. Then said Jesus unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. He didn't want any misunderstandings about Lazarus' current state. He wanted them to know that Lazarus had died. There's a lot of questions I have about that, that I don't have time to ask you that, that we don't, any of us, have the answers for. But I know if the Lord says that He's dead, it means that He's dead. And yet Christ said this sickness is not unto death. Now, what is the Lord saying here? Obviously, what the Lord is saying here, it can be t- let's say it can be took in a twofold understanding. I believe this is true. One is this, that the death that Lazarus was dying was only a physical death and not a spiritual death. Aren't you thankful that uh, in this life, uh, if you want to be just born once, the Bible teaches you're going to die twice. But if you'll be born twice, you only have to die once. Uh, The Bible says uh, in Revelation chapter number 20 uh, about the second death, that it has no power on those that have had part in the first resurrection. And you and I, uh, being believers, having put our faith in Christ, and being born again and raised uh, from the grave of our sins, uh, that death has already been died by Christ on Calvary. We don't have to die a spiritual death. But I would say there's another understanding of it, and that is this, that this death was not going to be a permanent death in his life. In other words, what the Lord's saying is this, I'm going to let death go so far, but I'm not going to let him go forever. Now, you say, what's the significance? The significance is this. The Lord's saying this sickness is only going to go so far. This death is only going to go so far. And what he's saying is it's only going to go as far as I'll allow it to go. Do you understand that our difficulties in our life, not only our triumphs, but our tragedies are foreordained of the God of heaven? Do you know that nothing can happen to you except what God allows to happen to you? Now, I know not everybody agrees with that. I know, I know that doesn't please everybody. I know when we come into difficult times in our life, I know sometimes we have a tendency to want to say, well, why would God allow this? And God has His reasons for allowing it. But if we believe in a sovereign God, we know and understand that He could change things at any time that He wants to. And let me tell you what the blessedness is of that thought. If God could take us out of our suffering any time He chooses, then He's leaving us in our suffering because there's a grand plan for it. We don't have to feel like it's all for naught and all for nothing. We don't have to feel like there's no rhyme and no reason. The Lord says to Lazarus or to Mary and or to his disciples, I'll get to Mary and Martha in a second, you hang on and we'll get there, but says to his disciples, I'm going to let this death go so far, but I've halted it because I've got a plan and a purpose. We see that God's in our difficulties. Look at the next verse, though. I want you to notice a second thing. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister And Lazarus, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. We see that God is in our difficulties, but I would say also that God is in our delays. I'm interested in the wording in this passage. You know, do you believe this Bible's inspired? I do believe it's perfect. I believe it's absolutely inerrant, infallible. I don't believe we need another one because you can't improve upon perfection. I believe it's exactly what it ought to be. That's redneck right there. You didn't know that the word ought had an R in it, but it does if you're from East Tennessee. It's exactly what it ought to be. And we don't need to go meddling with it. God said it the way He said it for a reason. And I want you to notice two things. Notice, number one, that Jesus' love is mentioned. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You ever wonder why God said that? I believe God said it because if He hadn't said it, you and I, about, uh, by the time that we get to verse number 6, we'd be wanting to say the Lord didn't love him. You see, you read in verse number 6, when Jesus had heard, therefore, that He was still sick, He abode two days still in the same place where He was. And so it's almost like God saying, listen, before you even let it cross your mind that I don't love these people, I want you to know that I love them. They knew that the Lord loved them. In fact, they said in verse number 3, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And so the Lord says, lest anyone else think that I don't love them. Let me state it plainly, that I love Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You know, that's important for us to know. I think there's a lot of things that are very plain to us. Sometimes we don't emphasize because of how plain it is. That's called taking it for granted. And sometimes we just take for granted that everybody knows the Lord loves them. But I'm going to be honest with you tonight, church. There have been times in my life when I may have known that God loved me, but I sure didn't feel like God loved me. I'm being honest. Not everybody's going to say that to you, but I want to be honest with you tonight. There's been times that I have felt that way in my life. And sometimes it's good just for the Lord to mention that He loves us. That's why it's so important. You know, sometimes people get to reading their Bible and, and, you know, they want to start skipping over stuff. I think it's good to try to keep some kind of of consistency as you read the Bible. Because let me tell you something, the stuff that's so familiar to us is familiar to us for a reason. It does my soul good sometimes just to read, flip over there into John chapter number 3, and read that God so loved the world. It does me good sometimes to flip over to Romans chapter 5 and see that God commendeth His love toward us. It does me good sometimes then to flip over to chapter number 8 and read that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. I mean, there's times, there's darknesses that you enter into when even the light of God's love seems to grow dim. And I think it's good sometimes for it to be mentioned. But notice the second thing. Not only is His love mentioned, but Jesus' love is mysterious. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Again, notice this wording. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, and I'm going to pause here because I want to read this, how it would have been written if I had been in the shoes of our Savior. Can I do that? You know, I'm not changing the Word of God. I'm saying if it had been me, this is how it would have read. It would have read, now, Toby loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he hastily rose up and went to their aid. Now, that's what we expect to read, isn't it? That's what makes sense to us. Uh, that usage of the word therefore in chapter number 6 is significant because it shows a connection between verse number 5, the truth there that He loved them, and His actions in verse number 6 when it says He abode two days still in the same place. That word therefore uh, is conjunctive. It shows a connection in thoughts and ideas. Now, that doesn't make sense to you and me. Uh, if it had been you or me, when, if we loved them, we would have got up and ran to them. And can I give you a little secret? Mary and Martha were thinking the same way. It didn't make sense. And yet we find in this passage that his love for them was the motivation that kept him the place where he was. Now that, that, that's mysterious to me. I'm going to confess to you that I don't quite understand that, except to put it this way, that there's times when God's timing is more important than my feelings. There's times, and I would say all the time, that God's timing is more important than my feelings or my expectations. Some of you remember what it was like as you were raising kids, and you couldn't always do what made them feel good. There were times you had to do things that they didn't like. Times that you had to do things they didn't understand. And no doubt, just about everyone in this room, if you've had kids, at some point you've uttered the words, one of these days you'll understand. I would say to you that sometimes in the Lord's heart, there's a little truth that throbs and beats that says to us, one of these days you'll understand. We may not get it now. It may not make sense now. The love of Christ is mysterious to us now. We have a certain way that we expect for God to behave, and He doesn't always behave how we're expecting Him to. But that doesn't mean that His love is not real and genuine and valid. Sometimes we feel like God's not hearing when it's not that He's not hearing, it's that He's not answering. And there's a difference between those two. God always hears our prayers. But that doesn't always mean that He answers in our time frame how we expect Him to. We see that God is in our delays. But then notice what takes place. And there's a little exchange. And by the way, it's very worthwhile to read uh, verses 7 down to about verse number 19. It's not a waste of your time by any means. Uh, But we come down to verse number 20. Now, our Lord has made the trip. Lazarus is already dead. By the way, nobody had to tell him that Lazarus was dead. Isn't that interesting? It never tells us that they sent word saying Lazarus was dead. He was alive whenever our Lord got word. You say, what was the Lord waiting on? He was waiting on Lazarus to die. You know, sometimes the Lord's just waiting on our situation to get so bad that He can get the most glory out of it. And I'm not saying that God's always going to do what we're expecting Him to do. I'm just saying that it's not outside the realm of possibility that sometimes He gets it, lets it get worse, so that when He makes it right, it gets that much better. And we see in this passage that no one told Jesus the Lord knew that Lazarus was dead in verse 14. Thomas opens his big mouth like you or I would and says, let us also go that we may die with Him, verse number 16. Verse number 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already lain in the grave four days already. Verse 18, now Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. If the commentators are right, that's a little under two miles. And the Bible says in verse 19 that many of the Jews, because it was such a short distance from Jerusalem, they came to comfort her. But we come to verse number 20 and notice carefully, it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. There's a word that that stands out to me in my mind as I read this. And it's the word disappointment. We see the overwhelming disappointment in the heart of Martha. Could I say to you that? God is even in our disappointments. We don't, any of us, like to be disappointed. None of us do. We have expectations, and expectations are called that for a reason because we figure it's going to work out that way. There's no doubt in my mind that Martha and Mary probably thought within themselves that they weren't going to be like many that had uh, sought physicians instead of the great physician. We'll send for Jesus. No doubt they had probably thought in their mind, it's early enough now that we can send for Him, and He's not far, He can make it here. No doubt it had entered their mind that if they could just get Him here, just the great physician, He wouldn't have to use medicine, He wouldn't have to do surgery, He wouldn't have to do anything, He could just speak a word and Lazarus would be whole. But it didn't turn out that way. No doubt many of us have prayed and thought God could intervene so easily. God could do so much. Lord, I'm not dependent on anyone else. I'm depending on You. I'm not asking anyone else to solve it. Lord, I'm asking You. And we expected it to turn out a certain way, but it didn't. Do you think God's forsaken us when those times come? Now, I'm going to be honest. We all feel that way. But what do we see in this passage? Notice first off Martha's statement. Jesus said, unto, or then said Martha unto Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, this is one of the most fascinating statements in all of Scripture because it's a statement of absolute truth. Do you know that you'll never find a single instance in the Word of God where anybody died in the presence of Jesus? I mean, listen, friend, He doesn't cause funerals. He breaks up funerals. And there wasn't a single instant where anyone died. And no doubt, if the Lord had been there, Lazarus would not have died. But isn't that the very truth that we're trying to grasp tonight? You see, we look at it sometimes and we say, Lord, if you had intervened, this wouldn't have happened. And sometimes I think God looks down from heaven and says, that's exactly right, my child. If I had intervened, this wouldn't have happened. It's all a matter of perspective sometimes. You see, when you're looking into a full tomb, it's easy to complain. But I wonder what Lazarus would have said if you had talked to him. I wonder what Lazarus would have said about it. When you had seen him walk out of that grave, bound in grave clothes, I wonder what Lazarus would have thought when those uh, folks had come to him and unwrapped his head and unwrapped his body. I wonder, as he gave testimony to the resurrecting power of the Word of God and the Son of God, if he would have said, like Martha had, Lord, if you had been here, I wouldn't have died. That statement of wonder and bewilderment is intrinsic to human nature. We never understand why God does what He does. And it becomes a matter of faith where we just have to trust that God is who He says He is. That's how you get through the dark times. That's that's how you get through the questions. Not by understanding what God's doing, but by understanding who God is. And isn't that what happens in our text? We see her statement, but I want you to notice also her sufficiency. Now, look what the Lord says in verse 23. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And some of us, we would have said, nope, never going to happen. But not Martha. Martha agrees. She says in verse 24, I know that he shall rise again. But listen to what she says in the resurrection at the last day. She answers in this way. She says, I know it's eventually all going to work out. Now, wait a minute. Is that how we feel about what God's doing in our life? Is that the best that God can do in our life just to work it out? Or has God got a purpose in what he's doing? Is the best that God can do just to pick up the pieces? Is the best that He can do just to try to make a mediocre solution out of the broken pieces of our life? Or is He a master planner? Is He a great artist? See, God's able to do things that we can't even reckon Sometimes we have a tendency to be like Martha and look and say, well, yeah, Lord, I know it's eventually going to work. No, it's not eventually going to work out. It's working out right now and it's working out to His glory. Notice the truth that He teaches. She says, I know it's eventually going to work out. I know that at the resurrection of the last day, I know that when that time comes, don't that sound just like us? One day when that time comes, I'm going to be honest, and I'm as guilty of it as I was saying to my wife the other day, or I was saying to dad, or so, they look alike. No, I'm joking. But I was saying just the other day uh, that, that wouldn't it be nice if Jesus would just come on back. We all feel that way sometimes, I feel that way. And I understand what's meant by it. If I didn't, I wouldn't have said it. But let me ask you something. Are we interested in heaven or are we interested in Jesus Christ? We already have Christ. Now, I understand there will be a day when there's no suffering. I understand there will be a day that will be a grand reunion day. I understand there will be a day when there will be no more parting over there. And I'm not saying I'm not looking forward to it. I'm merely saying this, that what we've got right now is something to shout about. Not just when we get to heaven. What's heaven all about? It's all about Him. We've already got Him. And sometimes we're waiting. And that's what Martha was doing. She's saying that that last day... And notice the change. Notice what Christ says. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What Martha's saying is, Lord, one day it's going to be better. One day when the resurrection happens, it's all going to work out. And Jesus says, Don't you understand, Martha? It's not about someday, it's about someone. It's not about when your circumstances change. It's about when you meet the Savior. Martha, don't you understand that what you're longing for, you have right now in your relationship with me. We get awful disappointed to be saved, don't we? I mean, stop and think about that. To be blood-washed, justified... Children of God, joint heirs. I mean, I'm talking on the winning side. I'm talking about more than conquerors. I'm talking about through Him that loved us. We complain an awful lot to be in that shape, don't we? I mean, we get awful disappointed with some of the trivial things that don't work out. When, friend, our sin problem's been worked out. Our unrighteousness has been rectified by the blood of Jesus. We're joint heirs with Him. I'm saying I know it's going to be great one day, but it's great even now. And we ought to rejoice in it. God's in our disappointments. But notice verse 32. The Bible says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying unto Him, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She says word for word what Martha said. But notice this, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he, was, uh, he groaned in, his, in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. We see that God is in our despair. I, there, there's so much to be said about it that a lifetime wouldn't suffice. But it's interesting that even though they both said the same thing to our Lord, He responded in two different ways. You see, Martha needed something different than Mary needed. You see, Martha, she needed an explanation. Isn't that what He did? Martha says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He gives her an explanation. And there's going to be some people that you're going to meet in life that, when they're in their deepest despair, that's what they need. They need an explanation. They need an answer. They need to know why. They need to understand. They need something they can hold to, but not Mary. See, Mary didn't need an explanation, Mary needed empathy. Mary needed somebody to feel what she felt. And we see the empathy of his grief. One of the greatest and, long and longest standing theological questions has always been centered around John eleven thirty-five. Why did he weep? And there's a multitude of answers. And probably a portion of all of them is true. Some people have said, well, he wept because Lazarus died. And uh, there might be some truth to that, although, to be honest, he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. I can't see why he would. And some have said, well, you know, he wept because of their unbelief. And I can understand that. I see some of that in the passage. He groaned in the Spirit. But there's another reason that I believe he wept. And I believe it's biblical because the Bible commands us to do it. And our Lord is our grand example in all things. The Bible says that we are to weep with them that weep. I believe he wept because they were weeping. That's what empathy is. Sympathy is feeling bad for someone. Empathy is feeling bad with someone. It's one thing to look at someone and say, hey, I'm sorry for your situation. But it's another thing to sit down in the ash heap with them and weep. One of the greatest things that Job's friends ever did for him, uh, it wasn't all the discussion, it wasn't all the conversation, it wasn't all the theology, but it was those first few days when they walked up and they just sat down in that ash pile and they didn't say a thing to him. They just covered themselves in ashes and put on sackcloth and they just sat and wept with him. You see, that's the kind of Jesus that we have. I I can't understand, I can't explain all of it, except to say this, that the Bible says that He hath borne all of our iniquities. That with His stripes we are healed. And that the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. You see, He didn't just die for our sins, He died for our sorrows. He didn't just die for our iniquities. He died for our pain. And somehow the divine heartbeat of God feels what we feel. Sometimes we like to look towards heaven and say, Lord, if you knew what it was like, you wouldn't put me through this. But we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, Hebrews 4 says, therefore let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. We've got a God that feels what we feel. We've got a God that hurts like we hurt. And we've got a God that weeps with us when we weep. We see the empathy of His grief. But notice what takes place. Look at verse number 36. Then said the Jews, Behold! How he loved him. He says, Behold. Now that's a word of observation and perception. If you're beholding something, you're looking upon it. And you know what's being said here? We see not only the empathy of his grief, but we see the expression of his grief. Nothing says you love someone like weeping with them does. I always tell people, and God taught me this real early in pastoring, and I didn't have to learn it through a bad circumstance, but the Lord just just showed me, just give me this little bit of wisdom. Whenever you go to a funeral, whenever you go to the hospital, when you go to the scene of the tragedy, whatever it is, if you don't know what they're going through, don't tell them you know what they're going through. Don't tell them you know what it's like if you don't know what it's like. Because let me tell you something. People can see through it. It's better just to sit down and try to weep with them. Just to hug their neck and say, I don't know what it's like, but I know a God that does and I know a Savior that does and maybe I can't hurt quite like you do, but I can hurt along with you and I can weep with you while you're weeping. That's what tells people you love them. That's what compassion is. Compassion is being emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of another human being. Allowing yourself to hurt because they, we live in a world without compassion. We live in a world that's happy to, uh, happy to say, I'm sorry if you're hurting, but they're not willing to take a moment out of their day to hurt with you. You see, it told to those around them that Jesus cared about them in the fact that He was weeping. Now, let me tell you something. Knowing that He's been touched in all but with our infirmities and all points like we are tempted... Knowing that he's suffered. The Bible says, though we were a son, yet learned the obedience through the things which he suffered. Uh, and the Bible says that he might be the fit captain of our salvation and would perfect him to be the captain of our salvation. Listen, knowing that we have a God like that, he doesn't have to feel our pain to be God, but he chose to. Why? Oh, but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, it tells me God loves me. It tells me God loves me. We see God's in our despair. I want to give you one more and I'm done. Look what it says in verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see... The glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But notice this. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice down, we didn't read it earlier, but look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on Him. I want you to notice two things that happened because God was in their deliverance. When, listen, when you trust God, it's never the wrong thing to do. It's never the wrong way to go. You never get slighted by putting your faith in God. Notice two things. Notice first off that they beheld great things because they put their faith in God. Listen, whatever you're going through, the deeper that your pit is, the higher He's going to lift you out. And I'm not saying it's going to work out how you expect. I'm saying it's going to work out how God would have it to work out. But He's not going to put you in that darkness without bringing you into the light. He's got a purpose for it. all the stories that we could tell of how God has answered and showed up in a big way, all the stories that we could recall, of in our moment of despair and tragedy, how that God moved in a mighty way. Could I say to you, and I believe this is true of Wallridge, but I believe it's true of a lot of churches, this church has beheld some great things. We've seen God move in mighty ways. We've seen God answer prayers we never thought He'd answer. We've seen Him save souls we never thought that He could save. We've seen God do some big things in our life. But notice secondly and finally, they... Believed great things. They beheld these things, and as a result of what God had done, their faith grew. I cannot make you very many promises about your trials, but I can make you this promise. If you'll put your faith in God, your faith will grow as a result of it. You'll begin to learn things about God you never knew. Isn't that what happened in this passage? Think about the statement that Martha makes in verse 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You know, I remember another person making that statement. Peter looked and said uh, that Thou art the Son of God. Where else could we go? Thou hast the words of Thou art the Son of God. And you know what the Lord said to him? The Lord said, Blessed art Thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto Thee, but My Father which is in heaven." So the same truth that Peter said is the truth that Martha said. She learned something about God that she couldn't have learned any other way than through these trials she was going through. She grew in her faith. And I'm here to tell you tonight that God has a purpose in whatever you're going through. I promise you, and and there may be some, I hope there's some sitting in the pews tonight thinking, well, I didn't know he was going to preach at me tonight. I don't know whether there is or not. But I do know this. I do know that God gives these messages for a reason. A pastor doesn't sit in his study with a big list of church members and trying to figure out who didn't get it last time so they can get it this time. God gives the messages He gives because He has a divine providential purpose. And if God's spoken to your heart tonight, I want to encourage you in saying that God's not forsaken you. He's merely growing your faith. He's with you in whatever you're going through. And as long as you won't walk away from Him, as long as you won't take a step back from Him, He'll never take a step back from you. And if you'll take a step closer to Him, James said, draw an eye unto God and He'll draw an eye unto you. You want to get a little closer tonight? Take the first step and God will get a little closer to you.